Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. It's that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hey guys, Perry here to tell you a little bit about Pluto TV. It's the leading free streaming television service where you can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Pluto TV never asks for your credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV is the easiest and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, your Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's. Where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just 2 bucks on the one 2 3 menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
It is movie talk time. Today we are digging into some Toy Story 4 character details. On top of that, a brand new trailer for the movie Late Night. You're going to want that on your radar. And then, guess what? We are revisiting Avengers Endgame as the events of that movie pertain to Spider-Man Far From Home. We are digging into it all today with Haley Fouch. Yeah, love having you here. And we also have to welcome Carla Renata to the set. Not a first timer here at Collider because you've been on Movie Review Talk before, but this I is have. a first for Movie Talk. It is a first did I for say Movie, movie talk. talk twice. You did say Movie Talk I did, twice because <laughs> I've got it on the brain. It's been a very exciting week on Movie Review Talk with Scott Mans. Now we have you here on Movie Talk. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, you ready to dig into it? Because this first one is a big story, and I definitely encourage you to head on over to Collider.com because our own Vinny Mancuso got to go to Pixar up in San Francisco where he learned so much about Toy Story 4. He has this super long article with all the details about the movie that you need to know, but what we're going to focus on right now Two specific characters. First, the villain and also Bo Peep. Just to give you a little information from his article here. So with Bo Peep, the film opens up with a prologue set between Toy Story and Toy Story 2 with the toys rescuing RC car who was left outside in a flood. After that rescue, a friend of the Davises comes to collect Andy's sister's sheep nightlight and with it, Bo Peep as well. This explains why the character has been absent for so long in the Toy Story storyline. Since we last saw her, she's become a lost toy, a plaything without an actual kid or a place to call home. A few reference points for this character so you can start to picture what they're planning on with her. Daisy Ridley's Ray from Star Wars. We have Gina Davis in a league of their own. They even mentioned Uma Thurman in uh, the Kill Bill movies as well. Basically, what's happening here is for her life as a lost toy, Bo has a vehicle that looks like a squirrel. Oh, this is getting weird now. Looks like a squirrel. <laughs> it's something Bo constructed from parts on her own. She also has a tiny Polly Pocket-esque sidekick named Giggle McDimples. I can't believe I'm reading these sentences. <laughs> voiced by Allie Mackey. So that's the situation with Bo Peep. She was in Andy's room. That's what she was ha- was happening in her life in between the original Toy Story and what we catch here. Then this is also kind of where we find the villain because where we have Bo Peep in the movie, that's where Gabby Gabby comes into play. This is a dead-eyed baby doll and she's voiced by Christina Hendricks and she's the first female villain in a Toy Story movie ever. Gabby Gabby also has henchmen in the form of a few ventriloquist dummies. Apparently uh, Gabby Gabby at a point seems totally harmless, but then the audience comes to realize that she actually wants... Woody's voice box because hers is broken. She's not super thrilled about being a lost toy. And if she's going to get adopted by a new family, she needs a working voice box. I think I got that. Yeah. All of that. Isn't that a lot? I mean, yeah. I love how we're isolating it right now to two characters. And I feel like I just got a mouthful of character names and story details. Well, I was at that junket as well at Pixar. And they talked a lot about a lot of things, about a lot of characters. <laughs> so the fact that you're focusing on two things is a really good thing. Because it was a lot of information being thrown at you at one time. But I did want to um, just piggyback on what you said about Gabby Gabby being the first female villain in the Toy Story franchise. Gabby Gabby is scary. She's scary. <laughs> she is scary as hell. You're saying that to the right people right now. <laughs> I know, because you know I'm not your girl for the horror thing. <laughs> but she, I mean, I was like, okay, is Toy Story turning into like a little bit of a little horror flick? I don't know what's happening. But what th- what I did appreciate about being there is that they went into very super specific details about how they went about drafting and creating these characters 
in this um, incarnation as opposed to where they started in Toy Story 1. Oh, they, they had a different approach? Well, yeah, because in Toy Story 1, to create the characters for the film, they basically would take pictures of clay molds, and now it's all digitally done by mm-hmm. rigging. Mm-hmm. And that's a really different type of process, which I was fascinated by that. I'm like, I have what? a follow-up question about Gabby Gabby. When you say it has like a horror quality to yes. it, like what exactly does she do? Do is it in the it's, voice? Is it in the way she moves? It's everything because it's, it's it's in the way she moves. It's in the way she looks. It's in the way she talks. It's the way she communicates. And then she's got the little henchman that looks very much like that little ventrilo- any kind of scary ventriloquist doll. And they talked about how they went to all these different um, vent- not ventriloquist stores, <laughs> <laughs> doll stores, old old antique doll stores to find a prototype to build the Gabby Gabby on. Like um, Gabby Gabby is based on a 1940. 1950s model type of doll and she's supposed to be kind of porcelain and plastic but not really but yeah she's she's scary and when she tries to go for that voice box it is not cute oh Uh man i was reading how um with the ventriloquist dummies that uh the way they move is super creepy because they tried to hone in on the fact that in real life, those dummies are meant to sit on somebody's lap so their legs don't work quite like some other toys might. So that gives them a creepy effect too. Haley, one of the interesting things, because we're talking about Gabby Gabby and also Bo Peep, is this idea that technically both of them are lost toys. I was telling you before the show started, I was reading a slash film piece on this, and that writer poses a really interesting idea where they're kind of putting the Bo Peep storyline side by side with the Gabby Gabby one, where Bo Peep is in a position where she is a lost toy, but she has come to accept and embrace that, and now she operates as an individual, whereas Gabby Gabby wants Woody's uh, Woody's voice voice box so that she could find a new home and a new kid. Yeah, she's trying to make a break for it. <laughs> she, she is trying to, when she realizes that that um, there's a voice box to be had, she is all over that. She is trying to make a break for it. Like, she's trying to get out of the insane asylum. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's hilarious. Is she a violent doll? Was there violence? No, she lets, okay. she lets her henchmen <laughs> oh, deal with that. Oh, violent henchmen. She, well, she's, she's, um, she rolls around in a baby carriage. She's, she's confined oh. to the baby carriage. She doesn't, she That's can't get spooky. out. Wait, she's confined to she's it? She's confined to the baby carriage. She never gets out of it. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> she never, well, I mean, so they showed us like, I think it was like a seven minute clip of the film when we were at Pixar. They showed us a seven minute clip that included the whole synopsis that you encapsulated in the at the beginning. Store. No, no, no. The one that you talked about where they rescued the car and oh, at the beginning of the movie okay yeah. and i was asking them about there's the rain that comes down in that scene it looks real and i'm mm. just like how are they doing this with animation where you're looking at it you know that it's animated but it looks like the rain when you walk outside the photo wow. quality of certain animation now is just it's absolutely phenomenal i mean lion king is obviously gonna take that to a let me tell you something level. they better work it out with lion king don't Uh-oh. get me started on lion king <laughs> Don't get me started on the Lion King, okay? Well, now right. I hope someone else can I'm like, I feel like we should fans. actually get used to her. Um, like, no. <laughs> All right. We're here to talk about Toy Story, so Fair we'll talk enough. about that. How are you feeling about Gabby Gabby v. Bo Peep right now? Well, now, since your description, I'm super hyped on it. I didn't realize she was scary. I'm in. Oh, yeah. She, look uh, at her. Yeah, she, she, she does look kind of creepy looking. I, uh, I I like what they're doing with Bo Peep. It's it's an interesting decision because, like, I know there were a lot of fans that noticed she, like, went missing and stuff, but it definitely, the focus has always been sort of Woody and Buzz's relationship and their, their connection to their kids as toys. 
that's maybe the interesting element of Gabby Gabby to me because we know that they're so fueled by this desire to be good toys for kids, but it seems, you know, if she's sinister, it, what is her attachment to wanting to be a toy again? Is it like her her perceived self-worth or... I think her being stuck in that antique store, uh-huh. but we don't even know how long we're, we're assuming that, that it may have possibly been decades. <laughs> oh, so she just wants out. Because she's just, just bitter, up. and she's, like, trying okay. to find any way she can to get out. She's not looking for, like, a soul connection. Oh, I'm telling you. I mean, like, the last two times we talked about Toy Story 4 on Movie Talk, it's, it's this conversation right now where we're discussing self-worth, and then it was also the whole Forky thing. Oh, for, yeah, that is Just oh, the yeah, idea of how Forky is processing who slash what it is. I love Forky. Forky was the bomb. They had, like, a little um, Forky clinic. With, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me? Oh, okay, yeah. I know that sounds really wrong, but they had a clinic where they they let us build our own version of Forky. So they gave us like, and so Forky's basically made out of a spork, mm-hmm. um, pipe cleaners, clay, and cement. That's it. And some uh, popsicle sticks. And was your Forky having an existential crisis? <laughs> my Forky was, I'm not good at arts and crafts. Like, I'm the worst. So my Forky <laughs> looked like a three-year-old made it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but there were some people that had Forkies that had dreadlocks and, like, wedged. Do- Girl, All right. people went in with their Forkies. It was hilarious. <laughs> when did they share these photos? I would like to see some it Forkies. It was hilarious. Um... I can't believe how excited I am for this movie all of a sudden because I was super nervous for a while because, you know, they stick the landing with a trilogy. You don't want them to run the risk of dragging this franchise out too much and maybe, you know, taking away from the value and the meaning behind it. But to hear some of the story arcs, the individual character story arcs that they're putting into this, I can't believe how deep they're going. You're going to love it. And Bo Peep, they totally re-envisioned her but tried to stay true to the original because in the original you know she had like the little bo peep dress and everything and now they tried to make her a little more athletic but the Mm -hmm. the issue that they were running into with making her athletic is they didn't want her to appear too masculine which i'm like why is it when we talk about women being athletic is that conversation that just Mm -hmm. annoyed me until no end but i'm just like can she just like be athletic why she got to be like a man because she want to be athletic well i think i had read in one piece wasn't there one model of bo peep where she lost her arm and she had like a muscle toy arm yeah she had a muscle toy arm and then they showed another version of her where her her clothes were all torn and tattered because now she is a lost toy because the the timeline with toys with children especially when they're young is very finite so once that child has started to grow or outgrown that toy then you're out of there right so they had this version of her where her stuff was all torn and tattered and she she was out in the wild pulling stuff together putting patches on her they had one version of her where she was looking like the we can do it uh, chick Uh with the scarf tied up which is why she has a little scarf tied up around her head they had all different versions of her that they showed it was kind of it was awesome i think she should have got a robot arm that's, that's my two cents on this I new design. I feel like that might have been in one of the write-ups, too, where, like, the arm had a mind of its own or something. Really? Yeah, they didn't tell us that. I, but just, they did. I just like robot arms on any that's character. <laughs> Specifically but they did show they did show lots of renderings of her, and it was really um, quite... It was quite endearing to see how they went from taking her from, you know, a normal Bo Peep-esque type of doll to... Um, more of an action figure type of... Like, they talked really 
intently about the porcelain cracks in her hair mm. and the hair glazing. They called it crazing. Um, <laughs> it, it's um, ceramic glazing, so they call it crazing. And they they said if you zoom in really tight, you can see all the little cracks and nicks and picks like you would in a real porcelain doll. They did all this research in porcelain shop. Like the amount of research that these animators and these people at yes. Pixar and, and DreamWorks and Disney and all these other studios that do animated features, the amount of research that they mm-hmm. put into it is phenomenal. When you said the crazy, crazy, it reminded me of when I got to visit Pixar for Inside Out. And for whatever reason, it was the term that they coined for the way that joy glows, the effervescence. Uh-huh. Like, that has always stuck with me, that whenever <laughs> I see that kind of lighting done when I'm watching that movie, I just immediately think about what the, the lighting... Yeah, like what the lighting and what the lighting department had to do yeah. to make something like that happen. Pixar is incredible. It is really something else to get to go there and be able to see what each individual department does because it's fascinating. They there's talked about so many dust. people. Yeah, Girl, they talked about making dust in the antique store and how they went about making the dust and the different types of dust and the <laughs> difference between dust bunnies and and rug dust. <laughs> how I, is a dust bunny not a character yeah. in this movie? <laughs> Look, they were saying basically that all these things that you they were talked about the fact that there's a pinball machine that operates as like a nightclub for the toys that has dust in yes. it and how they went oh, about I showing that. that. I want to go. There. It's, yeah. I'm telling you, it, you you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you see it. I love how hyped I'm getting for this movie right now. All right. I'm glad I can help you get there. <laughs> we got another movie to talk about right now that there's a lot of excitement for, and it is the latest from Quentin Tarantino. So this new update here, a little refresher for you guys. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood takes place in 1969, and it focuses on the changing Hollywood landscape. But there's an aspect of the movie that has raised some concerns, and specifically that's Margot Robbie's role as Sharon Tate. Of course, she was murdered in 1969 by members of Charles Manson's cult, leading some to worry that Tarantino is mining a real-life tragedy for a juicy story twist in the movie. According to producers David Heyman and Shannon McIntosh, though, that is not the case. Here's what the two of them told EW. She represents an innocence and an innocence lost in some way, and that innocence is very much that sweetness, that goodness, that delight with the movies, with her, with her life, is something that we experience. Tarantino and Robbie also wound up getting the blessing of Tate's sister, Deborah Tate, and Heyman said that at the heart of this story, it's all about the loss of innocence through the lens of three very different kinds of people. Here is how he described it. It is the three classes of Hollywood. There's the high Hollywood of Sharon, the declining star of Rick, and there's Cliff, who lives farther out and with more humble means. Haley, I can't remember if we've actually dug into this with you before. Mm-hmm. Did the inclusion of Sharon Tate raise any concerns for you? And if it did, do quotes like this kind of ease those concerns a little? I mean, I, I, it's always a concern when there's a real-life tragedy involved, but it's also one of those things where I, I try not to judge a project before I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's easy to see why people got worried, given, you know, Inglorious Bastards, sort of that reinvention of history that he did there, which did not work for a lot of people in the way that, you know, Jews were depicted in that movie, the way that Hitler was handled in that movie. A lot of people had fun with it. Some people were not thrilled by it. So I get the concern, but again, I don't want to judge things before they actually exist. Do quotes like this ease that? Somewhat. It's 
kind of this guy's job to help ease it though so like again it's like i'll make up my mind when i see it i do really like what they said about her being a figure of innocence lost and thinking it of it you know that that demonstrates that they're not thinking of it through a purely exploitation way they're thinking of it thematically symbolically Mm -hmm. and i love the idea of these sort of three phases of hollywood being depicted through the characters i do you know this is like tarantino's passion old hollywood 70s movies he's he's gonna have a lot to say about how the industry was changing in that time and that that's maybe the part of it i'm most excited about more than seeing celebrities brought to screen in a new way i want to see his take on this evolution evolution of the film industry yeah i think i'm in a similar boat where i mean we're we're sitting at this table all the time we're constantly judging movies before they come out yeah but when it came to this particular story especially with tarantino of all people directing the movies i i felt a little funny judging it just because he is such a unique and crazy style that i wasn't even able to pinpoint the exact path he was taking with this story anyway Mm -hmm. so it's like my mind could have gone in so many different directions that it almost felt pointless to be like, well, I'm worried about that right now for this yeah. specific reason. Hearing this approach, it does give me a little hope. And another quote that I really liked that they said is just about how personal it is to Tarantino as well. They had said Rick and Cliff are going to have to reinvent themselves and the extent to which they are able to will determine their futures. What I love about this, it's just so singularly told because it's Quentin Tarantino turning his eye on his hometown. Nobody else could have made this film. This is Quentin's most personal film. This is his memories of growing up in Los Angeles and being a fan of Hollywood. When they say nobody can make this film but him, I'm like, there's a lot of very talented people out there. But at the same time, it's like we're we are getting his view of all of this. And he has obviously had so much experience in this industry. And if I could feel that running through the veins of this movie, that is going to make it a movie that nobody else could have directed the same exact way. Well, honey, call me Judge Judy because (laughs) (laughs) I. (laughs) Oh, wow. What can I say? Okay. First of all, let's address the Sharon Tate situation. Mm -hmm. I was concerned about Sharon Tate because, as we know, Charles Manson just passed away. So there's a lot more focus on these women that that were involved in that storyline at the time. The women that that were um, in his cult, Sharon Tate, because she was killed. There's a whole lot of focus on Charles Manson, much more so now in the last a mm, couple of years than there had been in the 20 years or so that he had been in prison. I think so, it's also the 50th anniversary of the crimes coming yes. up, so it's like a perfect storm. Yeah, so there's like a whole bunch of attention coming on it in that respect. So when you read the quote about him having the blessing of the Tate family, that kind of, it didn't ease my mind because sometimes when people give blessings, you're not really sure why they're giving the blessing, because she seems to be, whenever they've shown the sister in the news, every time Charles Manson would be up for parole, she seemed visibly shaken and upset at the fact that this person was going to be released. So I would think that having a movie like that in perpetuity would be a little disturbing if you were that upset about this person being released. Now she don't have to worry about it because he's no longer with us. So there's that. So I'm conflicted on how I feel about that. In terms of the actual story itself, you're right. There are a whole bunch of other filmmakers that could do this other 
other than Quentin Tarantino. But this is from his point of view. And like you said, Haley, he um, 70s and in, in, um, old school Hollywood is his jam. So it'll be interesting to see what he comes up with. But what I really don't like about Quentin Tarantino is the blood gore situation with his films because it's just way too much all the time every single film like I just cannot like I think the only film of his that I actually could hang with was Pulp Fiction like that's the only one I can hang with I feel like if you had to pick just one I'm okay with that it's <laughs> a good one that's the only one I can hang with but yeah I just I'm very conflicted about this because and 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 I get why they would say the innocence because Sharon Tate did represent a different type of Hollywood starlet during that time. Like we're coming, it's the late '60s, so we're coming out of that '40s and '50s era of Hollywood where everyone looked a certain way on film, and she was like the last of that breed. I remember her vividly being in that movie Valley of the Dolls, that cult classic favorite. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. <laughs> it's so campy and so crazy and corny, but I love that movie so much, especially because of Susan Hayward. But I digress. Um, but she does represent a certain type of Hollywood starlet. So, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it all comes to fruition. I'm, I'm down for it. But, yeah, I did have concerns. It also, it seems like they're taking concerns into concern. But, like, they, uh, you know, they originally had it slated on the date, the anniversary date of the crime. That's tacky. And that's exactly what her sister said. Mm-hmm. She said it's tacky and exploitative. And then they had a meeting with her. They changed it. That's when they showed her the script. So, like, they are they are working to not be aggressively insulting. It and seems. at least they contacted her. Yeah. Unlike another feature that we know that where the family was not contacted. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'll, I'll give anybody props if you're actually going to make an effort to reach out and contact the people. And then they have the choice to say whether or not they want to be bothered. But at least contact them. Because at the end of the day, this isn't just a character in a movie. This is a person that lived and breathed and had a life mm-hmm. that was tragically cut short. So and that still has family that's here that still feels some kind of way about that incident. So, Well, we're going to cover this one all the way up to release. And given the fact that it's so close now, this campaign, maybe more quotes, they will likely be pouring in real soon. And we're going to cover them right here on Movie Talk. Before we move on to story number three, I need to remind you guys that we take your live Twitter questions at the end of the show. If you want to ask Carla about her feelings about Lion King, use the hashtag, Collider Movie Talk. Why are you Maybe throwing me under the bus? <laughs> I'm so curious now. All right, story number three. This is an exciting one. A brand new trailer for the movie Late Night. This one comes from Amazon Studios and focuses on Emma Thompson, who's playing a character named Catherine Newberry. She's the only woman to ever have a long-running program on late night TV but she keeps her writer's room all male and then eventually her ratings plummet and she's also accused of being a woman who hates women so she impulsively hires Mindy Kaling's character Molly who is actually a chemical plant efficiency expert I saw this movie at Sundance. I completely fell in love with it. I sat there during this trailer with like a big stupid grin on my face, just seeing these characters and their chemistry back on screen, even with that writer's room too. It's like that group of guys, that ensemble, they were spot on. So just being reunited with the tone and the style, the comedy, the vibe of this movie in a teeny tiny trailer just got me all hyped all over again to see it. So I freaking love it. How are you guys feeling about Late Night? Are you pumped to see it when it comes out? 
I'll go. Right. <laughs> I'll go. Um, I am excited to see it because I love Emma Thompson. I am cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs crazy in love with Mindy Kaling. <laughs> I love the fact that this is a film that's that's featuring two women, that it's a comedy. It, the Most of the films that we get, you guys know, throughout the year are really heavy-handed. They're very dramatic or period-driven or it's like, oh, you come out and you're crying. Like, it's all of that. I am down for the giggles, so I am all about it. And I heard really good things about it as well from Sundance, so I'm excited giggles to see it. Giggles with purpose. Giggles with purpose. Which I think purpose. might be some of the best kinds of giggles. I love that. Yeah. I love the laugh, so it's all good in the hood. That should definitely be the title of something, or like a, a charity organization. That's comedy. Uh-uh, not a charity <laughs> She do comedy shows and you give them money. Giggles okay. with purpose. Giggles with purpose. Oh my Green God. light it, baby. Yeah, pure really. Comedy. Yeah. I like it. Uh, I, I'm super excited for this movie. I, I was already based on the, you know, kind of the hype coming out of the festivals. And like you said, I love these actresses. But the trailer just totally, it's so charming. It is witty and it has a lot of heart. I, I like everything about it. And between this and Men in Black, I'm, I'm ready for the return of Emma Thompson to the number one spot in my heart this summer. I'm always hesitant to oversell something, but yeah. wait until you see Emma Thompson's performance in this movie. There is, it's like, you know when someone just hits that, especially when it comes to a comedy, like, like that cadence and that charm, mm. and you just get completely swept up in it all? That's what she does here. And I know some, after the Sundance premiere, were saying, oh, watch out for her in the Oscar race. I'm not going to go that far yet until we get the general consensus when the movie comes out but i will say given what i've seen so far this year that's probably one of the strongest performances i've seen she's hella funny she's hella funny she's really funny and not for nothing but she's super particular about the types of films that she chooses so you know that if she chose a film and it actually came to fruition and she shot it that it's got to be doing something right it's a tall hill to climb though for a comedy to go after a best actress that's like very tough to but pull But there's on. always that one time. You know, it, it, it can happen. There's always that one time. I'm just really burnt still from my, my Tony Collette. Like, it could Aww. happen for horror, and then it didn't. So Slowly. So we're, we're chipping away. I'll still mildly optimistic about this. <laughs> I'll mean, start keeping my well, fingers I mean, crossed. Oscar nominations can happen for women oh, in sure. comedy. It happened for Melissa McCarthy with Bridesmaids. Yeah, that was and crazy. That was Good point. huge. Yeah. You know, so it does happen. It, it just... Does. Happens a little far and infrequently than all of us would like. I'm pretty sure I could speak for us when I say that. Yes. <laughs> Cosign. Well, we're going to keep an eye on this one, the response to it. And fingers crossed, maybe, who knows, if everybody likes it, Oscars in their future. <laughs> all right, one more story to hit today, and it's a big one. And guess what? It's time to cue that spoiler alert, because this next story here does involve Avengers Endgame spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie, check it out. Revisit this conversation later. All right, let's jump into it. We have some quotes from the Russo brothers. During a recent Q&A, Joe Russo specifically reconfirmed that Spider-Man Far From Home is going to take place after Avengers Endgame. This is a lengthy quote. Bear with me. (laughs) Yes, those people... Whom, oh, this is this is also transcribed from a uh, from an other source, and I think it was transcribed by someone from a different country. So I might stutter my way through this, but again, bear with me. Yes, those people who were lucky to survive the snap are five years older than the people who just got back. The reason Spider-Man saw his friend again in high school at the end was simply because his friends were unfortunately also dusted like Spider-Man was. 
Of course, there are people in his grade who didn't die, and they are probably already in college by now. To those dusted people, they had no conscience in these past five years. They didn't know what happened. It's as if they just woke up from a long sleep. The only one who was aware of how many years has passed was Dr. Strange because he had already seen that when he was time meditating on Titan. Parker's reunion with Ned was a touching was a touching moment. There are also people who indeed moved on but suddenly was reunited with their lost ones. Yeah, it's kind of a complicated world now. I am really intrigued and excited to see what they do with Spider-Man Far From Home, given the fact that it's the first MCU movie after this major epic we got in Endgame. And I actually read the scene with Ned entirely different. And, you know, both both versions of it can fly. I looked at Jacob Batalon's performance in that moment, and to me, his face read, I haven't seen my friend in five years, so I'm breaking down right now, which, if this quote is transcribed accurately, that's not the case. That's not what they intended. They did have the main crew dusted so that they could still, I guess, be in school for Far From Home. Is that how you guys read that scene as well, or did this surprise you like it surprised me? I didn't surprise me. I, I actually didn't read the scene that way, though it makes sense. Uh, I, I don't think, given the circumstances, people need a, an especially strong reason to get emotional at this juncture. So I just took it for what it was worth that they were back at school together and were so happy. Oh, my God, we're alive again. Like, uh, that would be pretty emotional <laughs> enough for me. Yeah. Um, but... I I understand the curiosity of it and sort of the criticisms that, like, isn't it convenient that they all got dusted? I just don't care. I just want the best version of the story, so if that's what makes for the best version of the story, then I'm fine with it. Like, I, we accepted... Oh, right, we're in spoilers. We, yes. <laughs> we accepted that, uh, you know, the Bartons were all dusted. Things happen, coincidental sort of numbers clusters of people we've seen that it happened so I, I i take no issue with that element of it and i'm i i'm curious to see what they do with the world after it i also don't think it's going to be a very dark movie so i'm keeping you know those expectations in check relatively i think that this is probably meant to be something more of a palate cleanser after such a dark mm-hmm. Marvel film. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I'm betting on as well. And I've got no problem with that. I loved uh, Spider-Man Homecoming so, so much. If they yeah. wind up, you know, ticking those same boxes again, as far as the feel and the vibe of it, I'm going to be very satisfied. I guess it's because it's so soon after Endgame and I am so wrapped up in the specifics of that world and what half the population having been gone for five years has done to just the way we live life that part of me wants them to dig into it just a little bit or at least enough to satisfy me not just say well half of us have moved on and half of us are still like operating where we were when we were dusted if you know what i mean i want to see the complications of daily life i'm hoping that maybe one of the friend group like has grown up and that is an element that would be i think more interesting maybe I, who knows? But I, that's my hope, is that at least one character... Like, it'd be funny if, if Flash grew up, but he's still a D-bag. Like, that would be amusing. <laughs> I don't do know we, how you keep him in the story, but... Do we know if... Aunt, they said Aunt May was dusted, right? Ooh, good Because that, be, that would be a really interesting scenario if, you know... And that would be a way to address it while still sending him on a school trip with his friends. I think they did say she was dusted. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I kind of recall that. I kind of recall that. But to... to 
jump in on, on what you guys are discussing as far as that's concerned. When I saw that moment, I was like, oh, he's just happy to see his friend. Boom. I, there wasn't a whole bunch of like... <laughs> I'm the only one who read it yeah, the other you know, way. <laughs> I'm, I was like... There wasn't You're a, a deep thinker, Perry. There wasn't we a whole lot for giving of me a little like, credit. <laughs> ancillary stuff behind that. I was like, oh, he saw his friend and he broke down. Oh, that's cute. It was a cute moment. And I was like, okay, well, moving on. What's next? <laughs> I was kind of like that. But when uh, Far From Home hits the theaters, I think it's going to be interesting because it's interesting for the simple fact that most of the time Spider-Man has been a Sony joint and now he's rolling over into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is kind of exciting and scary and weird all at the same time. <laughs> but but I like that and I like the fact that um, this will be a lighter fare, I think, because Avengers, the whole thing leading up to that end game was so dark and so heavy. Child, I cried like the biggest baby. My mom <laughs> loves the Avengers. She loves all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, and she was sitting next to me, and I was a hot mess. And my mother was like, are you okay? Do you need some tissue? <laughs> no. I was like, no, I'm not. I was a hot buttered mess when that was over <laughs> so i am looking forward to spider-man having some more giggles having it be a little more lighter superhero joint because gyllenhaal and that get up there girl because oh, yeah. i can't i can't take anymore i can't take any more drama i can't like i need for it to be light and fluffy and me walking out of the theater with a smile on my face and me laughing this time around i have a feeling that is the route they're going with this yes. one i think it worked well with ant-man and the wasp last year after infinity war yes. and i have a feeling they're going to play that same card here. We might get some giggles with purpose. It's a possibility. <laughs> ah, callbacks. So happy to keep repeating that now. I'm keeping it. We need to find a reason to use it on the witching hour. I don't know when that's going to come into play, but you can yeah. bet I will figure it out. We have to move on to our show plugs right now. As always, you will get a brand new episode of Collider Live tomorrow. We also have a new Jedi Council for you, too. Now, I also have to tell you about a very special screening we've got coming up for Detective Pikachu. I am so excited for this movie. And if you are, too, and you're in the L.A. area, we're holding a special screening on Tuesday, May 7th. All you have to do if you want to enter to win tickets to see the movie and also a Q&A with the director is head on over to Collider.com. All the instructions are right there for you. So go enter to win now. Also, you have another episode of Movie Talk tomorrow, but tomorrow, 4 p.m. PT Live will be the very last episode of this version of Movie Talk because Monday, Ooh. May 6th, we kick off with our new 20-minute format. I know some of you are super bummed that the show is a little shorter, but... I guarantee you, I'm going to bring back this word, not giggle. Well, there's going to be giggles with purpose, but it's also, <laughs> it is a shortening of the show with purpose. Every single second of that show is going to have really deep analytical conversations. We're going to dig into some of your favorite movies and maximize every single second of week we have. And on top of that, you're also getting a fifth day again, Monday through Friday, movie talk live at a new time, 3 p.m. PT. You're also going to get Two doses of Haley a week. So you okay. have that to look forward to as well. I hope you all enjoy it. All right. Twitter questions. First one, we are going to go with Rocky Drago 66. Somehow Longshot is currently tracking to open less than The Intruder and Ugly Dolls. Will the positive reviews it's getting convince more moviegoers to give this film a shot? And Rocky Drago also shouts out Carla, because apparently you've seen the movie, Carla. I have seen the movie, and that shit... Oops, sorry. Can I no, say that? Yes, go for <laughs> it. That, it's late the show. That 
movie had me doubled over laughing so hard. It was so freaking funny. It was really hilarious. I'm hoping that it does do better because right now he's he um what's what's the name? It's Rocky Drago. 66. Rocky Drago is right. Um, the um, Ugly Dolls movie is tracking a little bit better this week and it, Intruder than um, Long Shot. It's throwing me off a little. Mm. I mean. I'm it's like if bummed. you had just laid them out and I had no data in front of me, I would bet on Longshot. But based on everything that I'm reading, and I guess also the fact that Ugly Dolls is going to be the first studio animated, well, not, it's STX, wide release animated movie we've had in a while. The last one's being Missing Link, which severely underperformed. And Wonder Park wasn't like the biggest yep, success. No. So I have a feeling there is an appetite for that kind of movie right now, which might wind up pushing it over the other two. But I am a little surprised, even with the positive reviews, to see Longshot not really tracking too hot I right now. I saw Ugly Dolls too, and Ugly Dolls is, is hilarious. It's how, oh. it's like a, it's it's not like any other animated film I've seen. It's more like an animated musical. Like I could totally see somebody taking this and making it into a Broadway show or throwing it in a theme park oh, somewhere. Wow. Like it was really really good and the music was real. I was sitting there tapping my toes with my little peers and <laughs> constituents who were under 10 years old. It was great. All right. I had a good time. Well, that looks good for Ugly Dolls, especially if it's already tracking well. If, I mean, I I for the reasons you said was not surprised to find that Ugly Dolls was in the lead and also because there is some brand recognition there already. I am, on the other side, definitely surprised how low Longshot is tracking. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if it's, is it not, you know, part of me wants to think, is it not the kind of film that appeals to either star's fan base conventionally? Like, but then I don't know because Seth Rogen does make like touching emotional films that have performed well in the past. And and I guess Charlize <laughs> Theron doesn't make a ton of comedy. Maybe no. that's throwing people off. And I think you're right. I think it is um, throwing back to her fan base because she makes she's the person that can go from from long shot where she's a romantic lead in a rom-com to Tully where she's tackling postpartum depression right. as a mom to being atomic blonde. Like this is a yeah. person or monster where she won the Academy Award. This is a person that has a tremendous amount of range from an acting standpoint. Right. But people are so used to seeing her in dramas and action mm-hmm. flicks. They mm-hmm. never, ever, ever see her in comedy and they may not just be having it, but I was there <laughs> for all of it. It well, was if funny. If someone doesn't believe in her doing comedy, go check out young adult because that yeah. movie, <laughs> well, it's, it's a bittersweet, like, <laughs> Dark it's a bittersweet dark comedy. <laughs> yeah. She just has a couple of lines in that that every single time I see it, it's like the part at the end when she spills the wine, it cracks me I up love, every single wrong, time. I love that movie. That is just like that's a that's a dark, rough comedy. Oh, there. but y'all, she's like nerdy, goofy, funny in this. It's really it's it's it's. Oh, I'm say, I know you were like, right, what really? Right. I'm telling you, she's killing it. You're selling it quite well. She's killing yeah. it. All right, let's see what this next one here. Here's a good one for you, Haley and and oh, Carly. Could not be the answer as well. <laughs> Me. Um, this comes from the Dogman uh, at Dogman Howls, who writes, "What under the radar horror movies should we be on the lookout for this year, a la Hereditary in 2018?" Under the radar, Ooh, it's not your I jam. Like, I know no, it's not my jam. So I'm just gonna sit back and lay in the cut for this. <laughs> I feel like you're the better person to ask because you've gone to festivals this year and oh, I haven't yet. I guess it's um, a fair point. 
I, I mean, like, definitely, since he said hereditary, Midsummer is coming yes. up. And that's, I wouldn't say that's necessarily under the radar, but it, it hasn't been, you know, advertised. And it doesn't, it's been advertised, but not to the extent of, like, a big studio film. And it doesn't have the awareness of something like It Chapter 2. Yeah. I'm tr- I, I don't know if I saw anything that might teeter that line from, you know, being, like, an independent film that could pop and, like, make yeah. waves, like... You know, like something like The Witch or Hereditary, for that mm-hmm. matter. The one that sticks out to me, I guess, is the one that I saw at Sundance, and it's also playing at Overlook later this month. It's The Lodge. Right. From the directors who did Goodnight Mommy, has a wildly impressive performance from Riley Keough. That's a good one to keep an eye out I for. I like Riley. She is, she's incredible. She's lovely. Um, there's also Little Monsters, too, which uh-huh. is not as dark as I that actually movie did is. See that. that was crazy. Isn't it a blast? And Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o so singing She's and playing so the ukulele. That's all I'm saying. You will never <laughs> listen to a Taylor <laughs> Swift song the same way you again. You really won't. I'm just saying. Ukulele and Lupita <laughs> Nyong'o. That's all I'm saying. As if I needed to be sold on it, but that really <laughs> just pushed me to the next level. <laughs> all right. Let's end with one more fun one from Louis E. De La Pena, who's asking, if you could voice any Disney animated character, who would it be? Oh, my goodness. I actually have voiced a Disney animated character. I was Shinzi in The Lion King in the stage version. That's so cool. I was. So I actually have done that. So boom. But if I could be in an animated movie, Disney, hello. I'm just saying. That's like the coolest Hmm. thing to have on your resume, I feel like. I was. I already did that. I did. For three years in Los Angeles at the Pantages Theater, I was Shinzi. Wow, that's freaking awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. What you got, Haley? What do I have? What do I have? Gosh, a, a Disney character, a pre-existing Disney character. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like I would be a terrible voiceover artist. <laughs> <laughs> no, you wouldn't. I have more faith like in you than that. That's in my skill set. I feel like I would want to be in Toy Story just because of yeah. what we were talking about earlier with how like wildly creative they're getting with all their different characters. And I feel like... I don't know. Like, I feel like I would wind up being like this, like morphed version of a toy, like a fork, like a forky. Yeah. <laughs> if they like, I, if they did a new Aristocats, I'd, I'll be. You would want to be a cat. I want to be a cat, guys. That's the bottom line. Like, I love how you picked a cat. And I picked. A <laughs> I love how you picked a film that had a cat in it. That was awesome. It's like I'm like, what has cats? That one. <laughs> That was pretty good. Okay. All right. So so we've got a Shinzi. We've got a, a cat. Any and cat I'm going to be a spork and embrace it. All Heck right. Yeah. We're done today. we got to <laughs> check out now. Thank you both so much for being here. Haley, as always. Thank Carla, you. can you tell all, all of our viewers where they can find your work on the internet? Absolutely. You can <laughs> find me all over the internet on social media at The Curvy Critic, at my site, thecurvyfilmcritic.com, and on Sundays at 5 p.m. Western Time at The Curvy Critic at Black Hollywood Live. And we have a very important announcement. Our own Adam Smith was in the booth the entire show because he has seen Avengers Endgame. Yes! (laughs) You rock, man. It happened! Thank you guys so much for watching this episode of Collider Movie Talk. As always, please like and share it. Check us out on podcast form as well. We will see you tomorrow for one more regular episode and then May 6th, kicking it off 3 p.m. PT live with a brand new movie talk. Stay little chico, Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. 
I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.